Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. At the height of the scandal in 2010, a track came out by this underground hip-hop group called Skull. It's a typical diss track. Skull is going after some other Korean hip-hop artists, like Dynamic Duo. But he also has some bars for Tableau. One of the lines goes, You can lie to other people about your education, but you can't lie to yourself. There's cheaters all around us. The media, it's all a setup. Someone's manipulating behind the scenes. We contacted Skull for comment. He didn't respond. But even beyond Skull, Tableau's scandal was an opportunity for rappers who'd been living in Epic High's shadow. You could pile on, throw some lyrical darts, and maybe get some new fans. Because, like all modern hip-hop beef, the winner isn't necessarily the best rapper. It's whoever gets the most attention. These were the musicians that Tableau came up with. And when things started to crumble, they came for him. But the whole genius rapper thing was a double-edged sword. It was a hook that helped Tableau break into the mainstream. And it also made some people in the hip-hop scene turn on it. Authentic. 
fiend of hip hop. A fiend of hip hop. Vice and iHeart. I'm Dexter Thomas, and this is Authentic. Episode 3, The Sellout. When Epic High released their first album in 2003, the Korean music industry didn't really know what to do with them. They didn't understand how to package us, I guess. So they put us in these, like, I look like a magician in my first... In my first TV performance, I literally look like a magician and Mithra looks like a pirate. So we look like a magical, <laughs> like, magical group of pirates. They try to make us dance, but they realize we couldn't. And so we're somewhere in between, like, dancing and rapping, which makes everything look awkward. Yeah. And it was just horrible. I've seen pictures from these early days, and the label didn't seem to get hip-hop. It looked like they were trying to sell Epic High as some kind of edgy boy band. But it's hard to blame the label because there wasn't a whole lot of precedent. There was this group that I really liked in Korea uh, called Soteji and and Boys. Teji Boys. (laughs) Great name, right? For a long time, hip-hop in Korea had been associated with this one group. The first time Soteji and Boys got on TV was in 1992. And there's a performance from back then that everyone remembers. They were on a music competition show. At first, the only difference from any other Korean singers is that everyone's wearing baggy clothing, New York Yankees jerseys, and overalls. The lights start out dim, and the guy in the front is singing what sounds like a run-of-the-mill pop ballad. But then, the lights turn on, and the beat drops. And then everyone gets up and starts dancing like they're in an MC Hammer video. And they start rapping in English. Their music at first was not really kind of hip-hop, but more of the dance music with some rapping. Gyutag Lee is a music professor, but he was a teenager when he saw Saltigian Boys on that show. The rest of the acts were more mainstream stuff, like traditional Korean pop music or ballad singers. And the judges gave Saltagian boys a terrible score. One of them said, quote, Your lyrics made me feel uncomfortable because of all the grammatical errors. But to the kids, that didn't matter. And when I went to school next Monday, yeah. everybody talked about Saltagian. Would you say that Saltagian boys, that, that first TV appearance, was that like the beginning for modern yeah, Korean hip-hop? Yeah, I should say that... Still, I cannot say that it is the, the, the hip-hop, but still, mm. they were the one who introduced rap. In Korea, rap hadn't developed into its own genre just yet. It was more like some musicians would occasionally rap, just to add some flavor to their pop songs. I mean, even Saltagian boys didn't fully lean into hip-hop until their third album, which came out a few years later. It was the groups that came out after, like Drunken Tiger, Dynamic Duo, an epic high that would really shape what we now think of as the early Korean hip-hop scene. But even into the early 2000s, this was all still pretty underground. 
rappers were mostly just a bunch of fanatic kids and nobody thought that hip-hop would ever be mainstream in Korea. Whenever I ask anyone about where it all started for Tableau, for Epic High, and for Korean hip-hop in general, one place always comes up. Hungdae. Hungdae is the name for a neighborhood that's around Hungik University. And in the early 2000s, it was the hip hangout for young people who were into art and music. All right, one, two, one, two. Check one, two, one, two. One, two, one, two. During the daytime, Hungdae looked like any other college area. Small cafes, boutique shops, that kind of thing. But at night, the local pubs, bars, and clubs transformed the neighborhood. The central gathering points was this neighborhood and also specifically there was a club. Most of the nightlife targeted young college kids. So the drinks were cheap, the music was loud, and a lot of the clubs were literally underground. I remember master plan on the weekdays, they have rock music performance. But on the weekend was, I think, hip hop. This is J.U. Choi, but people in the hip-hop scene call him J-Win. So right. I, I just added win because among all this J, I'm the winner. So J-Win. <laughs> J-Win introduced Epic High to each other, and he produced their first album. But before that, he was one of the OG producers in the scene, and he was always on the lookout for new talent in Hungdae. So at that time, there's a hip-hop live club called Master Plan in Seoul. Mm-hmm. That's the... Yeah underground hip-hop live club where Korean hip-hop underground rappers were performing every weekend. At that time for underground MCs, their dream is to perform at Master Plan. If you were into hip-hop at this time, you were an outsider to the outsiders. There weren't a lot of places for you to go, even in Hyundai. So all the rappers, the DJs, the breakdancers, they went to Master Plan, not just to hang out, but to prove themselves. They took it seriously there. Master Plan was the place for hip-hop. Have you been in the neighborhood where Master Plan was recently? No. Recently, no. Mm. 20 years on, the neighborhood has changed. A lot. That grimy underground vibe is pretty much gone. It's a lot more commercial now. There's expensive restaurants and franchise stores. And Master Plan closed a long time ago. The building where it used to be still exists, but now it's more of a multi-purpose event space. One of the few things that hasn't changed is the spot across the street. I really want to visit there because there's a favorite restaurant we always eat after performance. Is it the one right across the street? Uh, right, Yeah, right in front of the... Yet, it's called, I think, Yetjip. Okay, let's see. Yeah, so if you look on the wall here, you can see there's all these different people who've signed stuff and whatnot. The restaurant is really tiny. The owner is this older woman who didn't want to be interviewed, but she was down to talk to us. She seemed kind of confused about why we were asking about this club that had closed down so long ago. I asked her if she knew who Epic High was, and she said she did. And as a matter of fact, she had pictures of them taped up on the wall in the back. Right here at the top... There's Tablo with this 
Looks like he's got like a Run DMC kind of big brimmed hat, like a Pharrell. Of Epic High, the members. There's oh, really? Signed paper. Even Epic yeah. High? Yeah. Really? Yeah, you got to go back, man. Yeah, she's got she's got stuff from everybody, yeah. Oh my God. I should go there. I really miss that place. I remember like every time we were waiting uh, outside cold weather, we were, we, were so, we were so, you know, shaky because it's so cold. And then she always told us like, hey, come inside. You should take a rest here. What, what did they think of you there? A bunch of hip hop kids coming in after the concert. I don't think she knows what we are doing. <laughs> I don't think she knows what hip hop is. I think she just treat us just kind of her grandson. Do you remember when you first met Tablo? Like, yeah. Where were you? Mithra Jin, whose real name is Jin Choi, is the other MC in Epic High. He says when he first met Tablo in a hotel lobby, he'd been expecting somebody who looked a little less nerdy. Jay Wynn had orchestrated the meeting. At the time, Tablo was still in college, and he'd come home to Seoul for the winter break. And he was wanting to see if maybe he could get signed in Korea. Jaywin made Tablo perform on the spot. He played him some beats, and Tablo started rapping. One of them was actually Lesson One's uh, original beat in the first album. And that was the uh, same lyrics of Lesson One. Wow. What did you think? Because th- those are some pretty serious lyrics. Were you expecting that? No. Uh, in my mind, I was like, whoa, this guy is very serious. Right? I kind of like it. But I don't want to say, oh, I like you. <laughs> I like your rap. And the first day, right? <laughs> Tableau only rapped in English back then, which was fine for the parties in California. But it wasn't going to cut it in Korea. So, Jaywin told him, As soon as you go back to Stanford, every week, you should record one or two songs in Korean lyrics, and you should send me. So he did that. I was fluent in Korean, but my Korean writing was nowhere near the way I was writing in English. I see, yeah. And also, it's very different rapping in Korean. You know, I I had less experience with that. So while uh, Tablo was still... Studying in Stanford to finish his last semester, DJ Tukot came to my home like once a week. Jungsik Kim, aka DJ Tukuts, is the third member of Epic High. When I asked him how he became a DJ, he told me that he didn't really have any choice. He tried to rap. When did you decide, hey, maybe I want to start trying to DJ? But quickly realized that he wasn't any good at it. <laughs> And out of four elements of hip hop, graffiti, b-boying, DJing, MC, the only thing he was good at was DJing. He kept at it. And one day, he met Jay Wynn through a mutual friend. Jay Wynn mentioned that he needed a DJ for a group he was trying to put together. And Tukat said, Well, hey, I could DJ. So they started working together. Then in 2002, Tableau came back to Korea and they all formed a group and Jay Wynn helped them get signed to a small label. The way they all tell it, they didn't really have high expectations for this thing. 
they were a bunch of inexperienced kids making music in a genre that almost nobody in Korea even listened to. The music industry at this point was basically either mainstream pop ballads or this other thing that people were starting to call K-pop. There wasn't any room for a bunch of dudes yelling over drums into a microphone. I mean, they hadn't even figured out a name yet. So we were talking like epic, epic, what, epic, what, something epic, or just, just keep, you know, just spit it out like epic, fly, like something like that. Then one day, <laughs> Tavolo and I were sitting in the couch and watching TV, and they said, I was like, epic high? <laughs> then they said, he was like, oh my God. <laughs> then was like, oh my God. Oh, yes, epic high. <laughs> That's how your name. Now they were officially a hip hop group. They had a name, a contract, and some things they wanted to rap about. So they started recording. But pretty soon, they realized that something wasn't right with their label. They figured out that this, this contract was messed up. Yeah. It wasn't just messed up in that they weren't getting paid well. And they weren't. I mean, they were getting about $10 per day for meals to split between the three of them in the most expensive city in Korea. But the problem was now we had to pay the bill for all the recording and everything, mm, right. which is ridiculous because we, we really didn't have enough to eat. And Tableau's parents were not an option. They were still up in arms about the fact that I finished up college and to do this. Yeah that they didn't want me, like, living in their home. So now we had nowhere to live. I was living at one rapper's house and another rapper's house. Any friend that would have me. You're just couch surfing at this point. Oh, it wasn't couch surfing. One guy that I was living with who's still great friends with me, he had, a like, an attic, uh, like, where you climbed up a ladder and you opened the attic and a tiny space... He allowed me to stay there as long as his mom didn't find out. <laughs> and I remember, like, just like some movie, like, I would open the crack and they would be eating dinner. And I would open it because it smelled so good. And I was so hungry. And it was, like, from some Disney movie or something where, like, I'm, like, hiding in this rich family's house and I'm hungry. And I'm, just, you know, that's just literally what, what, what went on. For about a year, Epic High was stuck. They had an album, but no one could hear it because the contract they were in said they couldn't release the record until they paid back their debt first. And none of them had that kind of money. I felt like I had completely fucked up my life, like, on my own. The only way they could escape was if another label took them on and paid them out of that bad contract. But even then, that would just mean they'd be in debt to someone else. But at the same time, I was now in too deep. Like, I had finished this album, and I knew the album was good. Yeah. And there's no way I can just give up. Mm. But I was pretty much ready to. Do you ever think about giving up? Yeah. I was like, this might not pan out. I might have to live the lie, like, become a lawyer. Yeah. Oh, my God. And then, as I was ready to quit, I was drunk, passed out somewhere. I got a call, and some company that I had never heard of wanted to talk to me. Mm. So I went in, 
they liked the album. They signed us and literally put out the album in, I think, like two weeks. Map of the Human Soul was released in October of 2003. Finally, after a year on the shelf, the world was going to hear Epic High's debut. In the hip-hop scene, we became huge stars. There was this one uh, hip-hop, like, webzine where every hip-hop kid would go to just, you know, get Korean hip-hop news and stuff. Yeah. And they would have a yearly award thing, and we, like, basically swept, like, best Whoa. artist, best album, best whatever, right? But mind you, this is a very small number of people mm. at the time, right? This is, like, maybe at most 10,000 people. And I know this because we sold 10,000 records. <laughs> In mainstream terms, we had completely bombed. We'll be right back. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Epic High's first album wasn't doing great. We were winning this webzine award, but at the same time, like, we were, you know, tutoring kids and, like, trying to, you know, survive. And to make matters worse, they found themselves in another bad contract. Nothing had really changed because we just didn't get paid. They were all working multiple jobs, trying to make ends meet. It didn't really matter because nobody recognized us. But they kept going, hoping that their second album would change things. Right after our second album came out, and within a couple of days, I knew that this was going to flop. Right? Whoa. Because you, you just know, you just feel it. Mithra told me that the second album did sell better than the first one. But we're still talking in relative terms here. As in, it sold well for an indie album in a niche genre, which hip-hop was at the time. And the label wasn't really satisfied with that. They started working on a third album, but they knew that this one was probably their last. If this one didn't sell, they'd call it quits. Let's quickly make our last album. But in the meantime, I have a little bit of plan. And that's when I asked the thing. The thing was the taboo thing in hip-hop. Going on TV. Me appearing on a talk show during those times would equal death in the hip-hop scene. It was considered like 
a big no-no. 그래서 이 언더그라운드와 오버그라운드가 굉장히 치기어리게 싸울 때예요. 2Cut says that at this point, the underground versus mainstream was a huge issue in the Korean scene. I mean, it's the classic hip-hop debate. I remember this debate from when I was DJing college radio in California back in the early 2000s. A lot of us were kind of suspicious of anyone who got too popular. But we weren't going to boycott your records just because somebody interviewed you on TV. But hearing these guys describe it, it sounds like it was way harsher in Korea. Maybe it's because the scene was so small, but people were really serious about this stuff. Going on TV was for posers, sellouts. It was the opposite of hip-hop. TV promotion was more a K-pop slang. At the time, we debuted with the most popular Korean K-pop groups in history. Dongbangshingi, mm-hmm. TVXQ. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, possibly the most popular group ever in Korea before BTS. Yeah. And that meant that when we went to perform at these, this show, like they wanted us off the stage like as soon as possible. Oh, like, wow. They, they didn't have a stomach for us. Um, you know, it just wasn't clicking because nobody wanted us on those shows. K-pop has always been the bigger, flashier, and more popular cousin to hip-hop. But both genres have a history that's pretty deeply intertwined. When did K-pop as we understand it even really start in Korea? It was 1996 when the very first K-pop band, H.O.T., made their debut. There is a lot of debate about the exact time when modern-day K-pop came to be. But Yutag Lee says that what we can say is that by the late 90s, around the same time as hip-hop was emerging, K-pop was already in the front seat, and it was redefining what it meant to be mainstream music in Korea. H.O.T. and S.E.S. were dominating the Korean music charts. This was a programmatic move by a guy named Lee Soo-man, the founder of SM Entertainment. He'd spent some time in the U.S. in the 80s, and he was amazed at what MTV was doing. He also took notes on some other successful industries, like the J-pop music scene in Japan and America's Motown formula. And it wasn't just music industries that he was inspired by. Fordism, that kind of factory music processing. Fordism, you're you're saying Fordism as in Ford. Yeah, right. The the, the car, the the automobile factory, that the labor, the work is clearly divided to each one, just like the motor company, you know. He combined this all together, and he came up with a sort of factory model for music. It worked really well until about the early 2000s. Some of the idol bands even complained it as a slave contract. Wow. The biggest K-pop idols started to realize that the deals they'd signed into weren't all that great. And the general public realized that a lot of those idols weren't all that talented. See, that They did not do their live performance well on the stage. They only danced to the music. So a lot of casual fans started to get disillusioned with K-pop. And this left a gap for other genres of music to come in. Oh, so Epic High really came at just the right time. 
Yes, but it was very coincidence because actually that was the very period for many hip hop musicians. Dynamic duo, Drunken Tiger, and the Epic High at that time. Yes, there was a room for that. I get this vibe to your second album where you're you're almost having to explain to people what hip hop is and here's how we're going to do it. Oh, it goes beyond that. Really? Basically, interviews were really boring to them because I was giving lectures about like how graffiti played a role in it, how b-boying played a role, like you know, two cuts had to break down like why DJing matters. Mm. Um, like Herbie Hancock and like it's just like everything had to be a, a lesson to just simply introduce what we do for a living it's not our music but it has grown into something that we can identify with and that we can you know turn into something that we can express our own thoughts and voices through yeah. right but this was an entire population that was not you know, they just had never been exposed to it. Epic High spent years patiently explaining hip-hop on any TV show that would have them, all the while competing with K-pop for stage time. And it really wasn't until 2005, with the release of their third album, that anyone started paying attention. Part of that new attention was because Tableau was everywhere doing the TV thing. The other part was because in this album, they started incorporating influences from K-pop. And since that genre was already mainstream, it was a little easier for people to adjust to Epic High's sound. So it was only natural that when their third album was released, they were bona fide superstars. But it wasn't all love. Hip-hop heads accused them of selling out to K-pop for mainstream approval. Their fourth album did get some hip-hop fans back on their side because they went back to the core underground sound. But that record was censored by the Korean government. Some of the songs dealt with things like sex crimes, war, education, and religion. And songs that talked about these kind of social issues were banned from playing on the radio. This would usually be a bad thing, but not for a hip-hop group. Epic High getting censored actually probably helped them rebuild their street cred with that core hip-hop audience because it let their fans know that Epic High wasn't just about the fame. They were about the messaging, the things they were saying and doing. So people started paying more attention to them with the release of their fifth and their sixth albums. But not all the attention was positive. If you get a lot of fans, you're going to get a few haters. And pretty soon, those haters would find an opportunity. In 2010, the Tajinyo scandal was making national headlines. Things started coming offline into the real world. Tableau was now getting death threats and being accosted by strangers in the streets. I don't know how they got through to me, but someone threatened to kill me, my wife, and my daughter if we didn't get out of the country. And almost overnight, he'd gone from being a beloved symbol of success in Korea to one of the most hated people in the country. 
you know how people think that, like, you know, like, hey, don't think about the comments. Hey, don't worry about the comments. Don't, read, not, the, don't read the comments. Yeah, section. that's not real. Yeah. You know, that's detached from reality. All you got to do is turn your computer off, dude. Just unplug, log out, man, and you're fine. Uh, I got to say, like, the experience I had, it wasn't detached. You know, people were threatening me online. I tried to turn it off, but in the real world, it still happened. Like, it was connected. It had been a month since the Tajino message board had started. Tableau had stopped going outside. It wasn't safe to leave his house anymore. Tableau had released his transcript, thinking that this would fix everything. A few hours later, after the article came out, when I learned that that was not going to be the case, that people were not accepting these documents as real. Mm -hmm. They were saying my diploma was doctored. They were saying the transcript was fake. Taijinyo was looking at every detail of that transcript and calling everyone and anyone associated with Stanford to confirm details. No one believed it. Just being in Korea started to feel so dangerous that Tableau left the country with his wife and his baby, who was still only a few weeks old. First, they went to Japan, and then Hawaii. He tried not to think about it for a while. He knew that sometimes weird stuff just takes a while to blow over. After a month, he figured it'd be safe to go back to Korea. And I actually hadn't been looking at the internet for a while because, well, obviously, right? Then he looked at his phone. Then I realized that it had now spread to my family, like it had become a campaign against my family. I realized that it, got, it had gotten to a point where I now had no choice but to fight. Is at this point, there were also people calling and contacting the broadcasting station saying that, like, I should get fired. I didn't really go to Stanford either. This was already happening. Yeah. Sean Lim worked as a broadcast journalist in Korea. He also happened to be good friends with Tableau from their days back at Stanford. They were trying to attack everybody who was associated with Tableau. And yeah, talk about doxing. They were really good. What's the worst that it got for you? I think it was like a lot of hate messages on our company website, our show website, mm -hmm. people calling the station. What kind of hate messages? What were people saying? Some would be just cursing. Some would be saying like things about Tableau. Some would say like, I think they would be like even judging my appearance or like, you know, uh, saying like they're the same type of people. So, you know, they found all of us. I didn't buy any of the yearbooks at Stanford and I regretted it because I didn't have any of the pictures. But they found all the pictures and scanned it and put it online so I was able to have them. So there are some pictures of me and Dan. Those pictures are from when Sean and Dan Lee, a.k.a. Tableau, both lived in the dorms at Stanford. They stayed in contact over the years. And as the scandal was getting bigger, Tableau contacted Sean and asked if they could meet. He was having, I think, a bit of psychosis. He was kind of also detaching from reality because he was seeing it so much that he started to doubt whether he actually went to Stanford himself. And I thought that, to get to that stage... Did he tell you that? Yeah. Wow. What did you think when he said that? I thought when he said that, are you being dramatic? Or 
this is what can really happen. And then he was getting to the point where like trying to ask me like, would I do an interview for him for NBC, which is one of the main TV outlets here. NBC, a huge broadcasting network in Korea, had proposed a major documentary project. They would physically fly with a news crew out to California to visit Stanford with Tableau. They'd go to the school and talk to the administrators directly. If Tableau was lying, they were going to get to the bottom of it in person. Tableau accepted, and they flew out in August of 2010. Meanwhile, Tajinyo was continuing to grow. The documentary spends time talking to administrators, former students, and even some of Tableau's old professors. I'm not an imposter. I'm I'm the real Tobias Wolf, okay? They also found old videos of Tableau hanging out with his friends. Up until this point, all the news about Tableau had been piecemeal. A report about Tableau's transcript here, or a news article about Tajino's conspiracy theories there. I was watching that documentary with my mom, and she was like, why is this happening? This is Heon Park. She is a major Epic High fan. For her, and most of Korea, when this two-part documentary aired in October of 2010, it was the first to really lay out, in one place, everything that was going on. And I couldn't answer her, you know. Because I wasn't sure what was going on. Because none of us, none of us in this country have seen a cyberbullying case this big. And it was on a channel that almost everyone in Korea watched. For some, the documentary made it clear. The tableau had been telling the truth the whole time. It also helped that it was made by a respected national news outlet. But for others, it was motivating. Within one day of the documentary airing, the forum doubled in size to almost 200,000 members. Now it was clear this wasn't ending anytime soon. I checked the internet and now it had become a campaign against my brother, my sister, and my mom and dad. So when I got back and I was like, oh my God. It not only is persisting, it's gotten, like, much worse. That's next time on Authentic. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Authentic is a production of Vice Audio and iHeart Podcast Network. Produced and reported by Stephanie Kariuki, Minji Koo, Kate Osborne, and myself. With Janet Lee, Stephanie Brown, and Sam Egan. 
sound design, and original music composition by Kyle Murdoch, with additional support from Natasha Jacobs. Our supervising producer is Janet Lee. Editing from Lacey Roberts. Fact-checking by Minji Koo and Nicole Pasulka. Our executive producer and VP of Vice Audio is Kate Osborne. From iHeart Podcast Network, executive producers Nikki Etor and Lindsay Hoffman. Special thanks to Isne Bobo Noyet for Epic High's original concert footage. This episode features Epic High music from their album Map of the Human Soul, distributed by CJ Music. Music also from Sotegian Boys. Thanks also to NBC for their documentary, Tableau Goes to Stanford. I'm Dexter Thomas. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And if you dig it, give us a rating and a review. And don't forget to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Vice News. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.